I got this feeling that's like, okay, you know these kids aren't yours, right? Like, they're not yours. And so I'm like, okay, spirit, what are we talking about here? Like, I birthed them. Welcome to Finding Your Spark Again After a Loss. I am so happy to bring to you today Charmaine Fuller, who's going to talk to us about how to recover when your teenager dies. I want to tell you a little bit about Charmaine so that we all have a common point of reference. This conversation is going to be amazing, of course, because I already had part of the conversation and Charmaine is really incredible. Charmaine is a mom of three children, two diagnosed with autism and one diagnosed with ADHD. Charmaine has been an advocate and mentor to parents in the special needs community for over 10 years, helping moms navigate the special needs world with sanity. Charmaine is a life strategist with the Charmed Life and guides entrepreneurial moms of color with special needs children to achieve more time, energy, and focus in their personal and professional life. Charmaine has been a parent mentor and advocate for other special needs parents, as well as a certified life coach. Her work has been shared in Her View from Home, Metro Detroit Moms, She's been a speaker for CARE of Southeast Michigan, multiple podcasts and summits, as well as the Family Center of Gross Point, Harper Woods, sharing life management tools and techniques for moms. When Charmaine isn't helping special needs moms thrive, she is hanging with her family, knitting, trying something new in the kitchen. I was going to say, is there actually time when you're not doing all of those wonderful things because you've got a full plate, Charmaine. (laughs) I have lots of help. Always tell people that I have a tribe. I don't do laundry. My kids are older, so I don't do other people's laundry. Um, The days that I do cook, it's uh, like one of those HelloFresh boxes or something. So it's not a lot of thinking. My kids are pretty independent. My husband's very independent. I have created a really great team. Um, there's a lot around the house that I don't do as well. I, you know, my zone of genius is not necessarily like my husband figured it out early. My zone of genius is not keeping a clean house. That is not my zone of genius. I love that. <laughs> yes. Good to know about yourself. Yes. Yes. So, and you know, I have people that help me in my business. So I don't do things alone because I know how my brain works and how my life moves that doing it on my own causes me more stress and overwhelm than I really need to be privy to. Yeah. So I'm so glad you brought this up just first thing, because I really uh, feel like in my own life, the times when I've branched out and let people in and found a way to accept who I am and let go of the things that I am not good at. And I don't like doing, um, then my life gets exponentially better and everybody's life around me gets exponentially better, you know? So you're able to have those fun times, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. You can find that spark much easier because, and also, you know, people bring such joy into your life. You know, I mean, there's, there's the thing where you're, you get your laundry done. So that's great. Right. But yeah, much bigger than that is 
that you've created this bond and you both get to grow and and have joy from that bond, uh, even when it's an employee, right? Even when it's not like a yeah, family relationship. She loves Beautiful. doing laundry. Like that is her zone of genius. She She's happy doing laundry. <laughs> and who am I to take that joy from her? <laughs> That's what I'm going to tell myself too. <laughs> who am I to take this joy? Like, you know... The girl, we've had a nanny since my youngest son was a baby baby. So the girl we have now has been with us for years. And now she's kind of morphed into being my oldest daughter's supports person to for her. Because my youngest son doesn't necessarily need that anymore. Um, and she loves my kids like they're her kids and she rides for them like I would ride for them. And she, we really enjoy having her being a part of the family and it helps me to be less stressed out as a mom. I think every mom needs to come with a nanny. I wish I would have figured that out with my first two kids, but by the third one, I'm like, there's gotta be help for this. <laughs> like somewhere. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, this is, uh, this is a, another whole podcast topic that we could have and and uh, I love that we just did a little intro for it um but let's get down to this topic a little bit you know you have these beautiful children and you've had a lot of personal experience with loss and you're here with me in this joyous way and that is one of the reasons that I was really excited to have you on the podcast is that it's clear that you have your spark, right? That you've got yeah. something in you that is, uh, you allow yourself and you find the ways in your life to support yourself, to have the joy. So tell me a little bit about um, what that losing a child is, uh, feels like and what that process is like. So for us, MJ was what well, we called his name was Marcus Jr., but we called him MJ. MJ was, he already had a lot going on in his life from a medical perspective. He was having multiple seizures a day. Um, he was on the spectrum. There was a couple of other health challenges that he'd had. Um, you know, I really have some superheroes because I had never in my life heard of G6PD deficiency. And we kind of like, we found out about it. But we didn't know the extent because when we had the genetics done, the doctor was like, well, you know, yeah, it's not such a big deal. Until one day he had hemolytic anemia. I never knew you could lose red blood cells at a rate that could pretty much kill you. Never knew that. But he, um, he had a hemolytic anemia because my mom is of a certain age and she kept mothballs in her house during the winter to keep, um, you know, the mice and things not wanting to come in from being warm. I couldn't smell him, but the smell for him caused his, like the next day, he started like having these massive seizures um, and his, he was already, he already was light bright, but you could feel, see, even see that color just draining from his body and like the palms of his hand were yellow and things of that nature. And he had a fever and come to find out it was from the G6PD and just things like mothballs could trigger it as well as we found like certain beans could also trigger. And it's like, oh my gosh, we've been eating a lot of beans. So the stress that it put on his body with all of that, but he was always a happy kid. So he had all of these medical challenges going on. 
but in his essence, he was the funnest kid ever. Like, it was a joy to be around him unless he was like trying to, because he was nonverbal. And so when you couldn't get the communication down, of course, he would get frustrated and it's like, ah, but 90% of the time, unless he was about to, like his moods always changed around seizures. And that's how we knew he was going to be having like a series of seizures is that he would go from being this really happy kid to being this really irritable kid, which was not in his nature. And so like right before he passed, I'm not going to say right before, I would say like maybe six months before I have like these quiet moments where I, I would like get up before the kids. I might have a cup of water, a cup of tea or a cup of, you know, have a cup of something and just kind of quietly roam the house. And I got this feeling that's like, okay, you know, these kids aren't yours, right? Like they're not yours. And so I'm like, okay, spirit, what are we talking about here? Like I birthed them. He's no, they're not yours. They're their own individual beings that have their own individual journeys and you have to stop getting caught up in what they're doing or not doing because all of it is not on you. This is a central point. I just want to interrupt you here to say, this is a central point to being able to take control of your own spiritual journey. I mean, you just, you just did it. You had the moment of enlightenment. You took the quiet time. You had the moment of enlightenment. You got it. These people who I love so much, who I want to have beautiful and bright lives, that that part's not up to me. I did the part that was up to me. I had the baby. That's it. I kept them safe all this time. That's all you can do. That's it. And so I like had this really weird, I'm like, okay. And so it started me, you know, when you ask yourself these really awesome questions, if you're open, it takes you down a path where you begin to have more breath, awakening, whatever you want to call it. And so I'm like, well, okay. So if technically I'm not really um, a parent or whatever, in the sense of what we think parents to be, then how am I supposed to show up? And so it caused me to show up for my kids in a different way from like that moment on. I offered more flow. I begin to see that if they're upset about something, that it's not my, it's not my job to fix it. Do you know what I'm saying? Like a lot of the times as moms, we feel like when our kids are upset or when they're in this space, that it is my job to fix what's going on because I'm mom. And it's like, no, I would let him just sit and have his feelings. It allowed me to be more present as a mom, because if I'm not trying to get you to this point, I am just trying to be with you where you are in this journey. What's going great about this point of our journey, which I know for a lot of special needs moms is really difficult. You know, for moms in general, it's definitely difficult. But specifically for special needs moms, when you have a child that you think you'll be caring for for the rest of your life and not being in a space of, oh, my God, what's next? What's going to happen? How can I get them to a place where they can do this, where you're constantly future casting what can happen to tell them to be present feels so out of touch. So before he passed, I had like this big realization looking back, I can now see that he probably knew that he was going to pass because he spent a lot more time in our bed and with me and on me than normal. He never wanted to go into his room. It's like he would 
you know, he didn't want to go in. And I'm like, well, come on, dude, you're okay. Like, let's go to sleep. You know, it's time for bed. And it would be reluctant. And like the, the last night that I wished him a good night, you know, he didn't want to go in his bed. He like literally had fallen asleep under me. And I'm like, well, at this point at 14, he was already taller than me. He was, <laughs> I was a shrimp and like he was taking space in my bed because we had been through a couple of nights of seizures and I had learned to not feel bad about kicking him out because if I have been maintaining and managing you all day, I need to breathe. And so that particular night, like he went in his room and I'm like, hey, come on, let's go in. And he's like, nope, he wanted to go back upstairs to my bed. Mm. And I'm like, nope, this is not what we're doing tonight, MJ. Tonight we're going to your, your bed, blah, blah, blah. So I put him in the bed. We said our little affirmations. I had like little affirmations and prayers and stuff that we did, gave him a kiss and went to bed. Now, the next day I got up, I have a morning routine. I learned to have this morning routine. I taught my kids about the morning routine that if I don't do this, the version of me that you get may not be the version that you're used to. So I got up, I did my yoga, I did my meditation. This is, this is giant. So you're, you, I know you're saying it because you are living it. It feels like this is just the next step, but these are the framework that allow you to show up. Yeah. In that way that you're talking about, right? Earlier yeah. you were talking about having help. And then here you're talking about making sure that you take care of you as a yeah. human yeah. before yeah. you and and training the people around you yeah. that this is the way it works. This is how life works. Not that I am here for your needs you. first and my needs second, right? Right. So, oh, beautiful brilliant thank you for bringing that up you are so okay, welcome it's so funny for me it's like oh this is so simple like ah uh. but i did yeah i think the- for some people it feels really simple but right. for uh, many many people it does not feel simple right. like that entanglement is is serious and you've been doing it for a long time yeah. and i'm sure that maybe many of the mothers who've experienced special needs children have been, once you've done it for a while you go like oh i got to rearrange this yeah. but so many yeah. uh people who are just going through life are often putting the needs of their boss first they're putting the needs yep. of their spouse first they're putting their needs of their children first and just to say i'm going to do my yoga I'm going to get my glass of water and take my five minutes. Then you, I will have time for you. I think it enhances your, your relationships so much more because you can show up. Yes. You can pour from a full cup. So I did all the stuff that I normally do that I do for myself in the morning, the routines that I had set up, got done, got up, you know, kids, in the morning for school, nobody gets, you know, so I thought nothing of it. Everybody's door was still closed. Everybody was still asleep. I'm like, okay. So I went down, I started fixing breakfast and I knew that he had been struggling, right? Like, you know, he had had a couple of seizures and, um, I said, well, let me see if this is a day that he'll feel like going back to school, you know, cause thankfully because I work from home, the days where he wasn't physically able to go to school, I was able to keep him at home. And I'm like, well, you know, it doesn't, it didn't take him long to get ready for school. I'm like, well, we got 15 minutes to go. Like he can eat in the car. Let me go get him so he can get his stuff on. And he was on the floor. He had fallen out of his bed and he was on the floor. 
And when I went into the room, intuitively, I knew he was dead. Like I, even before I touched a body, even before I did any of the things, I knew that he was dead. And that part right there was a shocker. Um, but it wasn't a shocker, if that makes any sense, because now all of these pieces are finally starting to come together. And I'm like, oh my God, that's why I got that download. Oh my goodness. This is why he's been like, all of the pieces started to come together. Yeah. Fast forward to his memorial service. Everybody's like, oh my God, she's taking it so well. But mind you, during all of this, I'm still getting up. I'm still doing my yoga. I'm still doing a meditation and prayer time. I'm journaling about it. I still have these pieces in place for me to take care of myself. Um, in the middle of all of this, I allowed others to take care of me, meaning that if I didn't feel like, like there was just a particularly tough day and I felt the heaviness of the sorrow because that's normal. I'm not saying for the whole thing, I didn't cry or anything like that, but I didn't stick in it because one, I knew his life and his life was life. His life was joy. So if I wanted to honor him in any way, shape or form, that being in sorrow was not going to be the space to do it in. Like that would actually be dis dishonoring. If I didn't go forward and live my life from the fullest point, that would have been dishonoring. And that's not what I taught him. And that's not what I teach my kids. So then I'm like, oh my gosh, I would be out of alignment. And again, not saying that I did, I don't still have days where it's like, there's a shirt. And you smell that shirt and all of the images and memories come back in your head. And you're like, oh my gosh, I am so grateful to have known this soul. And you cry it out and journal about it. But then you go back to life. <laughs> yeah. I so relate to you on all of this. And so much of that was is a really similar experience to what I, I went through. Um, with the loss of my husband where, and I was so fortunate, his brother showed up, you know, so many people came, my siblings all showed up, everybody took care of me and I yeah. took care of me. And I, I made a priority how, what was going on between my ears, right? Yep. I made that the priority to say, okay, I'm in charge of this. And yeah, absolutely. There are going to be times when it's overwhelming and I'm sad and I've, I forget that life is eternal and all of those things. And yes. it just feels yes. like loss. It feels crappy. It feels awful. Yes. And, uh, but, but they don't have to be a day. They don't have, they can be a moment and they can be full and you can feel the fullness of that. And then you can say to yourself, okay, now I'm still breathing and I'm going yeah. to move forward in this life where my heart is beating, you know? So, yeah. so incredible incredible to to be able to do that with uh such an incredible child i think you know my experience with children who are on the spectrum isn't vast but i think in every case they have been uh such incredible emotional teachers that they yes. uh, they have a different relationship to emotion and they bring it everywhere they go because yeah. these sort of cognitive parts are shut down a little bit. So then that's what's left, you know, and it's so incredible. It's really great. His intuition was like on a million. Um, I had to raise my vibration because we could communicate without 
any words being said. Like he could look at me and I could know exactly what he meant. Um, so we really, because of who he was, we really stopped trying to force him to use his words. We really flipped, like I, at some point I stopped going to speech. We stopped going to speech therapy because he's communicating. Um, we ended up, we didn't stop. We ended up going to a different speech therapist who understood the difference in between communication and teaching your child how to communicate in the way that they operate versus just trying mm. to get them how to talk. Like, so we switched. Um, but we, like at some point it, you know, I would look at him, I go, you think I'm stupid, don't you? Cause I have to talk to communicate. I get it. So I said, indulge my dumb human form for right now. And like point to what you want, because I intuitively, I'm not, I'm busy. I need you to just make it easy for me. And it would be so funny because he would get it. And then he would go over and point to whatever it was that he wanted. But for the most part, people in our inner circle wouldn't have to use words with him. You, you didn't, you, you didn't have to, you knew that if he turned away from you, he was done. You knew that if he started to sing while he was talking to you, he was done. Um, <laughs> these are indicators in regular conversation too, by the way, <laughs> just, these are good communication indicators. Like if you're in a business meeting and somebody turns away from you, take it in. <laughs> There were just, there were so many beautiful lessons. And I think as a human and not necessarily as a parent, but as a human, when I can engage with you daily to see the lessons that you're teaching me, or especially in being a parent, what are you reflecting back to me? Am I liking what I'm seeing? You know, a lot of people talk about how their kids have smart mouths, whatever. They got it from somewhere. I love you. <laughs> I hate to say that. But you have to examine, you know, how you're speaking to them because they are just parroting that back. The life and physical death of him was actually a beautiful thing. Um, I am grateful that he was, that he peacefully went. Like it wasn't a car accident. It wasn't anything traumatic. And I think that part made it easier too. But as I think about who I am and how I operate, I almost feel that even if it was something traumatic because of how I do my mindset would have been hard. Yes. Would I have been pissed off? Yes. Those are normal human emotions. I never want to discount those, but in the end, because I have this keen awareness of how universal law works, I understand that even the crappy stuff is in my faith. There's something about it. There's something good. Even in the crappy stuff, you just, have to be able, you know, the law of polarity for every up, there's a down for every good, there's a bad, and they're on equal and opposite sides. So if you realize that the law of polarity, which is a universal law, that for everything crappy that happens, if you look over to the right, you know, you're going to be able to see what is the lesson I'm supposed to get out of this? Yes, this feels horrible. What's the lesson? If you don't get the lesson, the universe is going to do you like God did the children of Israel. You're going to keep going around the mountain until you get the lesson. So it's always best when something unfavorable happens that you look for that silver lining in it, that space of either something you can learn or glean, or how are you supposed to use this to serve the world or your space in a better place? What about this icky event has happened that 
can actually help you to add value into the world because it, it's a reason behind that. Um, that helps me a lot. Like there's a lot of crazy, unhelpful things that I feel like are unhelpful things that happen in life. But then when I sit and I go, huh, so if this didn't happen, then I wouldn't know to either not do this again in the future or where to pivot or even how to pivot. It makes my story stronger. Yeah. And it's really interesting that you brought up that you received the spiritual lesson before right. you walked through the valley, right? So you you got this information because you were already able to quiet your mind, to take a moment, to trust yourself, to know that when you had this kind of thought, that this was a thought that I should pay attention to um, and embrace and know that it's it's here for uh, for me, not, not to hurt me or any of these things, right. but they're for me. And that, uh, like any tool can be used to, to help you to go through something. Right. And, you know, being, I, I don't mean to be, um, h harsh about it, but being a mother of special needs children, you that possibility is more a possibility for you than for many other now many other parents go through the loss of their children don't get me wrong right. but but there's a certain amount of as you said i'm going to be caring for this person to the end of my life, my life. and yeah maybe they'll make it when i was a young girl my very best friend in the whole world um back then we we called them the, this condition retarded. And I don't actually know where on the spectrum she would have been or anything like that, but she was many, many years older than me. And she was my best friend in the whole world. And, uh, we were good friends. And then I went off to school and, you know, all things like that happened. And they, they always told me, Oh, she's going to die before you're, you know, 20. Like she's, she's not going to make it because this is the lifespan of what's happening in her body. And I was like, okay, well, I'll be ready for that. And she did pass away. She passed away. I had to be like 48, 50. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's not up to you. And, no. and you're, you don't get to say over it. Right. Because no. we're each having our own experience. And my friend Leslie was having that experience. Right. She was like, this is what I'm doing. I don't know about the rest of you guys. <laughs> But, you know, even on that same strain of that, like being her experience, there's this story that Bob Proctor tells about um, when he was younger, he had this best friend and the best friend gets this new truck. And he says he probably thought that day he had his whole life ahead of him. The truck ran his pickup truck ran into a semi or something like that. And the kid died that day. Whereas, you know, his older neighbor, who's like in his 80s or 90s, you know, people think that he's got like, you know, maybe one or two good years left in him. And this guy lives like multiple years beyond that. And so you don't know where in your journey or anybody else's journey, where the story, where their current earthly form story might end. And I say that because I believe that until your purpose is reached you keep coming back, which is why I tell the universe, I, I need to hit it now because I'm good. Because <laughs> I don't want to do this again. <laughs> oh, what? Um, You're funny. <laughs> You're so great. Don't, 
<laughs> but we don't know. And so this is the this is the power of presence. This is the power of being able to be with people in a moment. And it's not always easy because we have these things going at us. We got all other types of media. And it, it's so easy, even for me who loves presence, it's easy for me to get caught up in future casting. Um, it's easy to get caught up in what could be and not what is and embracing what is. And believing that that is uh, responsible right? That we're yes. planning and we're right. So we're doing all these things and, and feeling like, well, this is actually the responsible way to live. Right. Uh, but in fact, we're not present for our life. So right. we're, we're not living our life. Right. And there is a way to plan and still be present. Like it's okay to have a savings account and have different plans, but when you get too stuck in, and this is what a lot of parents do, they get really connected to what they see this kid being, what they see this kid doing, and what's going on. And sometimes as parents, we don't we don't experience a physical death. We experience an expectations death. Specifically when kids get around their teenage years or even as they hit different spurts, what we expected from them to do and how we expected for them to show up isn't happening because they're really beginning to become aware of who they are as human beings and they want to explore that and often that exploration doesn't fit into our narrative of how we want this whole thing to go and so some parents like listening to this might be like well none of my kids have died yet i want you to think about where have you felt disappointed in the expectations of what your child is either doing or not doing that's like a death because you're not enjoying them in the present. It's not saying they don't need to work on cleaning their room or they don't, you know, if they plan on being a doctor that you shouldn't be concerned about their grades. It's just that if the path they take to being a doctor isn't going to Harvard, it's going to spend two years in Costa Rica working with, uh, you know, relief aid to help people out. And that's how they choose to serve that just because they're not doing the traditional doctor space that they're now all of a sudden wasting their life. Or, you know, if they choose not to go to college, they choose to go start a band and, you know, travel the world, whatever. So many parents are experiencing this death of expectations and they get sad and angry because they feel like they failed in some way. But if your kid is breaking away from you, you have done your job. If they feel confident enough to go out and explore their human existence, you have not failed, even if it's not. And especially if it's not how you think it should look. So good. That is really an important piece of that message. I think, you know, uh, there's a spiritual tenant that the cause of suffering is expectation and you 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 put it together so perfectly in in that description right it's like if we expect for the kids to live a certain way and i i will say just uh speaking from having watched my own mother put up with me throughout my lifetime um <clears throat> i'm feel certain that if she had expectation for me she would have been very very suffered <laughs> You know, you just, you know, because kids don't do what you expect them to do. Because no. as you said, when you felt that moment of enlightenment about your separation and your proper relationship with your children as as a, a beautiful co-creator with them, yeah. uh, that that they are doing their thing. 
and yep. and all all that you can really do is keep them bring them bring them life and keep them alive that's it and that might look like you backing off and letting them figure it out you know my 11 year old it in a way it, it my mom is so baffled like there are certain things with him that it's just like you know i all have conversations like he because he's 11 and he's trying to figure out his voice. And I'm like, okay, so this is what we're not going to do. I don't yell. I feel like I can get my point across to you without yelling. Um, when you calm down, let's talk. And it's so funny because I think about my mom. My mom just would have went whap and that would have been it. But I want him to be aware of how he's talking to people because he's a, my, my kids have beautiful hearts. So I want you to be aware of how you're talking and interacting to people that it's okay to be frustrated with someone, but there's a way to do it in love and a way that is respectful to their spirit. Like you don't act like I don't yell at you. So let's talk this out. And it doesn't just because I don't yell, it doesn't mean we don't disagree. I have, <laughs> oh, this is so baffled. My husband's getting on board, but like, People in my family are baffled how I have these conversations with my kids on thought process. What were you thinking? Um, well, what did this look like to you? Well, you know, okay, you know, there's this whole process because I want you to notice how you're thinking. I want you to see the thought process that you were in. And although it may not click when you're 11, I guarantee you by the time you're like 25, 30 and other things start to come in synchronicity that you go, oh, I remember when I was in a similar situation and I always asked them questions like, so how did this work out for you? Okay. So it didn't work out. What do you think could be done different? You know, what, you know, what support do you need? In this? Like I, I asked them these different questions. It's, it's hilarious because that is not how I was raised. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're planting seeds. You're planting seeds and those yeah. seeds will come, come to fruition at some time. At some point, whenever they're ready to, to grow them, but our job as parents is just to plant the seeds and trust that at the timing, when the timing is perfect for them, the universe will open that up, that they'll be receptive and they'll take that path. That's all you can hope for. Now, I want to talk about some uh, kind of practical things because you and I both experienced um, when you lose a family member. Uh, particularly, you know, my husband passed away. So it's like really obvious that I've got to call the bank and I've got to figure these things out and I've got to close accounts. And, you know, you, you sort of you muddle through all of that until yeah. you figure it all out. But that's not always obvious with, with children and teenagers. And yeah. uh, I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about that. So again, thankfully I was intuitively connected because there's no spaces on the internet streets where I could find at that time back in 2018, um, what to do when your child dies. And so I said, okay, spirit, what are some of the first things I like, you know, what, what the, what, and the first download was social security office call now in that social security, end it now. And so that was the first thing I did is. I, um, I let the social security office know like he's deceased. I can't remember if they asked me to send in a death certificate. I think they did. And at some point when I got it, but definitely so they, they could immediately flag it. Um, that was the first thing I did. The second thing I did, 
was I looked to see if his organs could be used because besides the seizures, he was a really healthy kid. Um, the only thing with that is that we didn't know the time of death. So, you know, organs are very precarious in how long they can sit. And um, so that was not something that they could use. However, um, if you have a ch somebody in your family that dies with epilepsy, um, the Harvard Brain Foundation is they will come and pick up their brain and because they study people with epilepsy to kind of see, you know, if there can be some trends or whatever, but that's only something that they can do when someone, of course, has passed on. Um, but the second thing I did was looked for opportunities for the physical body to be put to a different use. So if that's a possibility, I would always say that. Um, the second thing I did when I got home was I called schools. I let them, you know, I began to let schools and doctor's offices know that, and like he had appointments and things scheduled. He was actually scheduled for a consultation because he had scarring on his hippocampus. We were actually going to have neurosurgery to get scarring removed so possibly he could have less seizures. I guess he was like, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> I'm out. I got to go. Yeah, I'm good. Um, so I then went through and called schools, um, called um, any doctor's offices that we had appointments or things at. And I began to cancel to get his name off of that. Um, at the time, because of his disability, he was receiving SSI. That day, I cut all of that. Any type of assistance, like if your child is special needs, they're getting cut that off because normally by the time they find out, it's months down the line. So now you have this money and they're going to get it. You know, the government, the U.S. government don't need it play. back. They're right. going to get they're it back. They need it back. Yeah. And yeah. they may not ask you for it. They just might take it. <laughs> so if you're, if that, if your child is getting any type of government assistance or anything like that, I would say in the same alignment, doing those things earlier rather than later um, is so important. Um, so those were some of the things that I immediately did. And then I went into, you know, calling a funeral home and setting things up. Um, we definitely wanted him cremated. Um, and that's just because I don't get the point in going to a gravesite. But that's my own hang up. Like, and I like having him around. Like, even though it's not him, like we have the urn. I have him like, like for me, that works out. I like having him around and not, and then we like can take the ashes and spread them like on my garden and stuff like that, you know? So it's multi-purpose. I want to uh, just take a second to remind our listeners what you said at the very beginning, which is get help. So that list so important, but you physically don't have to do it, right? You just have to know to do it. There's got to be written down somewhere or you have to go like, oh, somebody should call the Social Security office. I will say that uh, when my husband passed, the funeral home took care of that for me. So that there might be ways for for that process to help you as well, but don't don't feel like you have to do all this, you know, because this is you you're not you don't have to be the doer, <laughs> but being aware, like like how a mom always is, being aware and being able to direct the situation, even though you're in your emotional condition that you are in in that moment, uh, is is really important. 
Yeah, one of the things, though, I will say is that even before they choose a funeral home, is shutting down that social, to me, and based on what I know about identity theft, shutting down that social security number is your primary concern. Um, I don't know necessarily about bank accounts yet. I know some, because I've worked in the financial industry and there's two different trains of thought. I've had customers that, you know, knew that their spouse or what have you were deceased. And it's a lot easier sometimes to clear stuff out and then bring in the death certificate. <laughs> because when you have a death certificate, they make you wait, I think, sometimes a little bit so they can clear some things up. Um, so, you know, definitely what works for you, but let them know. Because, like, you don't want, again, unfortunately, with identity theft, that people will take dead people. And, you know, I've heard some horror stories. It's like five years later and you're, like, getting stuff in the mail saying that they signed up for an Amex and a Discover card. And you're like, wait, whoa, hold on. Like they've been- My late husband like still gets offers in the mail. Right. <laughs> they like, always want to send it back and be like, really? Really? You want to, he's dead. Like you how do you not check the social security number? Like my son is getting stuff now for like colleges and financial aid. And at first it used to make me angry. I'm like, oh my God, don't they know that he's dead? And then now I'm just like, you know what? It, it's 2022. Their technology hasn't caught up. I can't help them. And I take it and I kind of chuckle and I shred it. Um, but that social security number is first. And like you were saying, Donalyn, is finding a funeral home that's really all-encompassing. Um, I'm sure the one we went to would have done that. But that was just like my first download was to ixnay that social security. Oh, the fourth thing I did once I canceled everything with like doctor offices, things like that, was I got everybody into therapy. Everybody. Because not only did I see him on the floor lifeless, his brother and sister saw him on the floor lifeless because we were all getting ready for school. This is really important. And I think it's important uh, in your position as a mother, but but throughout any loss to reach yes. out for help is so important because none of us can do it alone. I mean, you and I kind of sit here and we go, well, we've, we got a lot of training and we got a lot of tools and we, we did all this stuff that got us to here and we can walk through it fairly well, but still there's a place for therapy, even for people who feel like they got, they got this, you know, and there's a place for help of all sorts. And, and I think that's really, really important is just to reach out um, because not everything can be done through a conversation with your best friend. Yeah. That therapy piece was so, it, it gave the kids a space to say how they really felt about it. And um, definitely for my younger son, because there were some behavioral issues that came after, but those were like, again, knowing what I know, I'm like, okay, this is grief. And the not understanding that one day you have a big brother and the next day you don't. Like he was, so 11, 10, 9, 8, I think he was like seven or eight. So how do you resolve that? Like on one hand, he's like a kid, right? So he's like, yeah, I want to go to school. And he's like telling everybody in school, like, hey, my brother died yesterday. <laughs> and he's like answering questions from the other kids in the classroom. But like, and he's just like, blah, 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 blah. he's going from that to the next moment. He thinks a kid brushes against him and he's ready to chomp their head off.
it's like we were getting behaviors out of him that were not in alignment with how he had been. So getting the school to see, hey, he is still grieving. You cannot expect for a, you know, a second grader to go from life is great to, oh, snap, my brother's gone, you know, and even though there was this age difference, you know, my son was, MJ was chronologically 14, but really him and my younger son were just so like the stuff they like to watch, the things they like to do, they were just so like that. So that was his play buddy. And mm -hmm. so even a lot of times now he'll go, I'm so lonely. Like mm -hmm. I don't have anybody to play with. Yeah. And I get that it's because MJ all like he always had somebody to play with and build Legos or do because those are the types of things that he did with him. And so now getting him into different things, but yet you have to be, you've got to be open. And even in how that's showing up for you. I think this is a really good example of how grief works for, yes. for all peoples, right? A lot of times we walk through that experience and we seem like we are really okay. You know, we're like, yep, okay, I can sign okay. the thing. Yep, I'm making the breakfast. I'm okay. I'm I, everything's okay, and we feel okay in that moment, just probably as your son did, right? He was like, yep, he was happy to be talking about it. He was happy to be processing that and sharing his world with the other children. And then out of nowhere, something happens to us, and we behave in a way that we've never behaved before, and. We don't know it's grief. We don't call it grief. We call it unstable or, you know, things like that or, or bad if you're a kid. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that's, that's a really important piece of grieving to bring up is that a lot of times people think grieving is thinking about the person and getting sad, but grieving is just the stage you are in. If you went through the loss, you are grieving and how that shows up in your world may be different. Uh, than how it shows up in everybody else's world. And it may be that you sleep more or that you don't sleep as much, or, you know, it could be any way that it, that it shows up. Uh, but to just say, okay, for, to have that self-acceptance and say, yeah, I'm okay. Just the way you did for your son. For me, it was overworking. Um, I, gosh, that year, like <laughs> I launched a lot of stuff and I'm, i probably made more money after his death <laughs> it did great however the burnout behind it was the fallout was exhaustive and i can always tell when i'm slipping back into that space and i have to go like i was just doing 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 going 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 doing 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 going 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 doing and always looking for the next mountain to climb and that's normally my nature, but I had got it to this space where it was like family, I have family time and I have some time to do some fun stuff. I had like lost all my hobbies. I wasn't doing anything. I just recently started like the knitting was something new. Um, getting in the kitchen and baking bread was something is something new because it's like my coach was like, where's the fun at? I'm like, fun. Like we we don't have time for fun. Like, let's get this done. And she's like yeah no no your 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 next thing is not to launch it is to find some fun go you know take a dance class go do something go outside and take walks every day whatever it is find that joy again and i really had to re-engage with that because sometimes like you said the simplest things 
sometimes in finding that joy, I remember how joyous he was. And so it brings it back full circle. And it's like, well, if I don't have the time to feel joy, then I'm good. And so being able to, like you said, look at how it's presenting in you. My daughter slept a whole lot. Like everything was about just sitting in her bed and not engaging. My husband, it looked like something different. And for all of us to be able to honor each other's display of grief was not easy. But That's we, right. That's right. That's right. Well, this has been so engaging and um, I would love to ask you just one last question. And that is if you could pass on only one piece of information about to another mother who has to walk through the loss of her teenager, uh, what would that be? It's possible like right in that holy instant, it feels like your world is swirling and that you'll never get out of this vortex of disbelief. But if you hold faith that possibly your world will shift and the sun will shine again, it will. Um, Like you said earlier, and to caveat that, listen and engage in things that make you laugh and that challenge your mindset. So there was a lot of, thank God for Netflix, you know, cause there's so many different comedy specials on. And we would just sometimes sit, me and my husband would just sit and just laugh, like good stinky belly laugh. And I think those, like knowing that, like I said, for every down, there is an up. And so you, you have to be willing to come out of that And you have to be willing to say, I don't want to feel this way. I still want to honor the person. I still want to honor my child. But I would really love to feel great about life again, to know that that's possible. And for me, the way to do it was I did, I mean, I dug deep into mindset work. That and laughter. Laughter is medicine. (laughs) And I love how that ties back to what you said about, you know, your, your son had so much joy that to not have joy is in some way disconnecting from what he brought into the world. And I, I feel like that's true for a lot of people. Certainly I feel that way about my late husband. You know, I, I spent 25 years with him or I spent longer than that with him. I spent that long married to him and, um, and he brought so much joy that for me to not take the time to find that spark of joy again and be willing to let it in is in some way dulling his, his, what he did in this world, what he brought to this world, you know? So thank you so much for coming here and uh, talking to us. You've been captivating and wonderful. And, um, and I think you're right. I think that uh, our, our hope here is that we'll help a lot of people uh, walk through this process and and do it in a way that uh, we can actually, it's possible, go forward. Yeah. And that feels affirming and not so heavy. Well, Thank thanks you. again. Be sure to check the links uh, on the website that you are on at this moment, whichever platform you are on. Please do connect to Charmaine and keep in touch with her. Please put some comments below or to the side or whatever platform you're on and uh and let us know if this matters to you if you connected to some 
piece of what we're talking about today. So thank you so much and keep in touch.